Yes. So today on the Sound Iron Podcast, we have Sean Devine. He is a producer, mixing and mastering engineer, and sound designer. He has amassed quite the following on YouTube, where he posts educational content about software that I like to use. I've watched a lot of his videos. So Sean, welcome to the podcast. Hey. Hey, thanks for having me. Good to be here. Of course, man. So could you tell us about how you got started in the educational side, like posting YouTube videos? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, YouTube for me was a little bit of an experiment because when I first started, I was more on the production side, doing beat making videos and that sort of thing. Kind of put it down for a little while. And so when I came back to it, I knew I wanted to do something in YouTube just because, you know, video, we all knew that was the future of content. And so I thought it was a great thing, but I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. But eventually, when I came back to it, I was like, you know, what's the most helpful thing that I could start doing as far as content wise? And there was not a lot of mixing and mastering content. There was not a lot of stuff that was really pointing people in the right direction in terms of production. The things that I was really interested in coming up, you know, there just was not a lot of information like that. So I was just totally coming at it from what would have been helpful as I was coming up, you know, like the, none of this stuff was there. So yeah. that's really how it started. And it, it was mostly mixing in the very beginning. Yeah. So stuff you wish that you had and for free, especially was very hard to find online. Absolutely. Yeah. I, there was, there was nothing out there. I mean, you, you all know we were reading books and I was going to like borders and Barnes and Noble, like reading future music, computer music, mm-hmm. and just like sitting there for hours you know, just yeah, because you couldn't afford the book, something. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was just like whatever, whatever you could get your hands on. I, I bought plenty of books too, but Same. yeah, it's just a different thing when you're uh, when you're actually able to watch something visually, see somebody going through that process. Yeah, I completely agree. It's kind of absurd to think about learning Pro Tools from a book instead of learning it from either like a video or just actually doing it or watching someone do it in a studio. Um, And the same thing goes with a lot of the software. It's like all those for dummies books are just funny to me because they have to screenshot everything and they're like, then turn this knob and you're like, what, where is it? Yeah. Yeah. It's a whole different context. It really is not to take away any value from that because I think we we could have a conversation about this where a lot of people are very fixated on the the knowledge material in terms of like the technical things, but there's just sure. no substitute for experience. So like if you're watching something visually and maybe you're following along and doing it as well, it's just a different way of learning. And I think that it facilitates that process. Like my process was not that fast in terms of learning all this stuff because we couldn't do it that way. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Where would you say that you started kind of get developing your chops in a way that were like really starting to yield some some benefits, especially because, you you know, starting from like the more book reading, like where did, where did you feel that you started kind of grasping it pretty well? Man, you know, it was a journey. It was a journey, Craig. Like, I don't think that there was a specific moment, but I think that, you know, as you do this just over and over day in and day out. And also I got studio experience, you mm-hmm. know, when I first got out of school I was fortunate. I signed a publishing deal and was traveling a lot, working with different artists. I think just being in that environment and learning how a lot of that stuff worked and then working as an assistant engineer, just all of that experience over time. And then also the fact that I had just been passionate about it literally since I was, you know, in middle school, high school, I was already starting to read a lot of this stuff. So it's just compounding, you Mm -hmm. know, over time. And then eventually I felt like I got to the point where I was like, oh, I'm actually getting the results that I've been working towards, you know, and other people are starting to hear that and, and want to know how I'm doing it, you know? Yeah. Especially the, like the developing your ear. Cause that's the thing. It's like when you watch videos, it's very easy to kind of learn a little bit more with your eyes and you're like, Oh, okay. Like you, you see their moves and like, Oh, you know, they always do these certain things, but it's cause they know that sort of is what works. But the thing that you like that, I think a lot of people struggle with a little bit at first is like listening you know with their ears and not their eyes kind of thing because then you're like making all these yeah you start making all these moves and you're like well how come this doesn't quite sound like that it's like well you know you have to use your ear to actually like shape different sounds and stuff it's not always the same yeah yeah and it's interesting because a lot of people want like the instructional manual on a session it's like okay 
A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You know, these are all the things you need to do in every single session. And, you know, we all know when you open up a session, it's like no session is the same. Mm -hmm. So, and the only way that you can really get to the result you want is exactly what you're saying. Use your ears. And then with that experience, you apply that using your ears and then you know how to get there. Use your tastes. All that stuff comes into play of, of achieving that, but it's not, you know, it's just not going to be this very simple straight through kind of instruction thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. So how did you get started on the music side of things? Yeah, man. Um, I'll try to give you the abbreviated version. Totally. There, you know, no life stories here, but um, <laughs> yeah, I got started as a drummer really early on. I'm trying to remember the first records I was listening to. I was listening to a lot of alternative music and my brother listened to like indie and stuff. And my dad was into like psych rock and mom listened to gospel. We had a lot of different music going on in my family. So there was no... Uh, there were there were no you know prodigious musicians or anything, but we were all really passionate about it, and so I was exposed to a lot of different stuff. But the stuff I was listening to, I was picking up on the drums first. You know, I heard like Dave Grohl. I'm just gonna have to say Dave Grohl was probably the reason why I started playing drums. I'm, mm-hmm. There you go, man. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just hearing his drums, but also the way that they sounded. Like now looking back on it, the production, the mixing, like Andy Wallace mixing that all played into my fascination with it. But I wanted to play drums. And so I played my mom's pots and pans for years and drove the family crazy. <laughs> and eventually, you know, they, they sort of took me seriously. And um, my, uh, my parents were divorced. And so my dad had trouble getting me and my brother to go over to his house. So one year he, uh, he had a friend that had an old drum kit that was sitting in an attic. And so he got this kit and like put some new heads on it, tuned it up a little bit. And uh, I got that for Christmas one year. And he said, well, the only catch is you got to come over to my house. So you got to come hang with me and you can play drums. So every day after school, I would just go over there and play drums. We'd catch up a little bit. And Mm -hmm. that was the start. You got the bribe. (laughs) yes for sure it was a good one and i'm I'm very thankful for it man drums like being a drummer having good rhythm and like knowing what a good drum sound feels like is very important Uh, we we were talking about that with david oliver drum kit and it's like the way that you think about drums and like developing a drum sound makes the whole mix change some of the best records when you like go back and listen to them you're like the drums are hot like they're really loud oh, yeah. the yeah. snares popping off especially like 80 stuff it's funny when you see those those memes where it's like like that snare shit and you're just like this whole mix is trash like just because that <laughs> snare sounds like crap it's just like it's funny how like some people are like just that one element can make or break a mix because some people are so like passionate about you know stuff like that like that snare it's crucial, man. It's crucial. Is this, we could talk about that, uh, you know, the Metallica snare. Uh, you're Anger. a metal guy, Craig, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah everyone was going apeshit about the, the St. Anger snare or whatever it was. Because it was just like, pound, 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 pound. It was like, oh, man. Especially because you hear the Black Album. And that, al- that album is just produced like as immaculate as possible as they could have done probably back then for a metal record, especially a mainstream one. And then they do that and people are just like, really? You have all the money in the world, and that's the scenario you chose. But then now some people love it, so I don't know. I think it polarizing. Yeah, yeah. Do you still play drums consistently? I do, not as much as I would like to. You know, obviously it's just like time constraint. You know, yeah. I try to play. I have a, a little e kit that I'll try to just keep my chops up, and and if I'm doing some production stuff that calls for it, I definitely will still play. But, uh, but yeah, not like I used to, man. I used to be up there seven, eight hours a day, you know, just sweating it out. But, um, but yeah, yeah, still something I love. And I, I listen to lots of drummers and go look at all the YouTube content I can. I'm, I'm still really into it. It's just a different thing. I feel you. Phases. I would love to have space for a, for a drum set, dude. I think that's like the one thing that like I wish I could do more of. That was actually the first thing I ever wanted to do was, was be a drummer, but couldn't get a drum set. So my friend was like, I got a guitar. I was like, all right, that'll work. Guitar's cool too. But yeah, I always wanted to have a, a drum set. An e-kit would be cool though. because so you could just pack that up somewhere. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit easier with, with neighbors. You know, if you have to worry about noise and stuff, 
that was the other big challenge is as you move around and you live in different spaces, it's just like, well, you know, I'm not, me playing drums at 8 a.m. in the morning is probably not going to fly with everybody around me. So yeah, <laughs> different consideration, but maybe one day. Open up the garage, piss everyone off. Time to wake yeah, up. <laughs> exactly, man. So could you tell us about a typical day in the life? Oh, man. Well, every day is a little bit different, but sure. uh, some common things for me would be, it's probably going to sound boring to people because it's really like I wake up, I will, I'm trying to slow down on my coffee. So, okay, cut, cut back on trying, caffeine. Trying to do some tea as I've got right now. So I will get coffee or tea and uh, start doing some emails, like things that just have to be responded to in the morning. You know, I try to do that. I'm on a lot more kind of specific schedule these days when I was younger the studio schedule is just like go in at 10 and you may not get off till five whatever <laughs> now I'm much more regimented as far as like I get up about 6 37 a.m get that done get the emails going and then I try to sit down and do my mixing and mastering stuff so any any work I'm doing with with clients with that I do that in the in the early part of the day just because my ears are fresh Mm-hmm. So that's usually what I'm doing early part of the day. And then once that's done, you know, I got to get a workout. So I go out, you know, sometime after lunch, um, I run, bike, hike, lift, whatever mm-hmm. uh, during the day just to kind of, you know, break that apart. And then the latter part of the day is going to be more of the creative stuff. So if I'm doing any production work, if I'm doing sound design, if I'm coming up with ideas for content for YouTube or whatever else it may be video wise. I'm starting to kind of put together those ideas later in the day. I just, I cannot do that. I don't know if you guys are the same way or if you have like a specific time that you're more creative minded, like versus technical side. But yeah, I have to, I got to let the day unfold a little bit before I can kind of get into that stuff. So yeah, for some people it might be a little tricky, like just like hop into your studio, like, all right, get creative. Uh, It's like, you almost got to like do all these other mind kind of like not mindless things, but like the the other things that need to get done. And then like, you know, if little ideas creep into your head, you're like, oh, cool, I can save that for later. Or like now I have some seeds to play off of or that sort of thing. 100%. I like the uh, the mix in the morning when your ears are fresh idea because it's almost like uh, write drunk, edit sober kind of thing. <laughs> the next the next day you're like, what was I thinking? <laughs> you're like, I got to yeah. change. I got to change these six things. Exactly, man. With with that sort of stuff, I need a couple of days anyway. So it's like, just kind of go through get the balancing right, make sure everything's feeling pretty good. And then the next day I can come back to it, you know? And, mm-hmm. and like you said, even later that night, like if I finish dinner and I'm like, wait a second, I think this would be really cool. I'll come down and just kind of do something really quick just to make sure that I don't forget it. Cause I'm mm-hmm. bad about that too. I'll have these ideas in, in the night and then I'm like, what was I, what was I going to do there? So that's one of those things where you just can't get away from it sometimes. But I try to just kind of lay all that down. And then, yeah, if we need to come back to it. Do you ever do the voice memos on your phone? I do. I haven't been doing them as much, but I got to get back to it, Craig, because it's like that is a great practice. I feel like that's one thing that's underutilized that as a musician, as a creative person, it's just it feels like there's stuff coming in all the time and half of the stuff you forget, you know, or Mm -hmm. I feel like I do. I feel like a lot of ideas I I forget or I don't quite remember them the way that I wanted to, you know, so it's like if I would have just wrote it down or did that voice memo, that would have worked out better. Yeah, I sometimes it's like when I'm doing voice memos, I always, I have to make little notes like, okay, this is going to be this instrument. This is going to be this. There's going to be this underneath it. And then I'll like sing each thing out. But the thing about that is just like not forgetting to go back and listen to them. Because sometimes you go back and like, wait, what, what are all these little voice memos? And you just like forgot about it. And you're like, oh, wow, there's like all these ideas that are just been they're just sitting here. Like <laughs> it's got to remember to go back and listen to them. Yeah. They're just like, they have an expiration date too, you know? So it's yeah. like, you go back years in the past, you're like, that doesn't even make any sense to me. What anymore. the hell was so I thinking? <laughs> but at the time you're all stoked on it. Like, dude, I, I gotta, man, I gotta put this thing together and yeah. Showing everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, could you tell us what the makeup is of your client work versus like the YouTube versus like, what is, uh, like, what's the percentage breakdown of where you spend your time? Man, that's a tough one. I don't know if I could break it down in accurate percentages. Anyway. <laughs> um, you know, I would say the the bulk of the actual work is right now anyway, for me, is more mixing, mastering. Uh, I do some sound design stuff, 
But that's kind of the bulk. I'm really focused on more mixing and mastering. And then the YouTube content, you know, obviously it's a big part of what I do, but it is also as well, it's kind of supplemental in terms of the way that I approach it. Hmm. I've always approached my YouTube that way, even like as it's grown, which we can talk about that. I didn't really expect that to happen that way. Yeah. Uh, honest, honestly. And we'll talk about that a little bit. But, um, you know, I always wanted to approach YouTube and the content that I was doing as like, I'm really excited about this. This is something that I'm inspired by. This is something that I find helpful. This is something I'm actually doing in the sessions I'm working on right now. And that keeps it more relevant, you know, for people watching it. And they pick up on that. They're like, oh, you know, this is something that you organically came across or that I really am a fan of. Um, so I think that balance for me has worked best. And I know that there's different ways of, of approaching YouTube. And I'm sure a lot of people would say, well, if you just doubled down on that and like just did that, but then I feel like that would pull away from, you know, my true passions, which are you know actually working on mixing, mastering, production, all these things we're talking about in music. I mean, that's, that's why I'm even sitting here. So mm-hmm. I don't want to lose track of that and, you know, become a YouTuber per se and not still doing the things that we're trying to, to, you know, inform people about or show people inspiring things with, you know? I like that you talked about that because I'm looking at your recent uploads and it's like you had two videos six months ago, you had two videos five months ago, you had one video four months ago, and then you disappeared for like three months. This is what I'm interested right this second in. Like, so I'm going to post this video because I've been working on this this week and it feels organic and authentic rather than a churn and burn kind of like, okay, I have to post two videos a week no matter what and just burn out. Yeah. That's that's awesome, man. Well, I'm I'm glad to to hear that that you perceive it that way as well. I mean, it really is like I've considered it so many times, and people have been like, "Why do you not post?" You know, more consistently now. And I did posting consistently for a while. Sure. Don't get me wrong, um, but again, it, it just became this thing where that's that's a great example. The past you know three months or whatever where I didn't post, I was in the middle of like mixing and mastering these projects that I'm, I'm really excited about and but i was just really focused you know mm-hmm. lasered in on those and so it just wasn't the time for me to be putting out content like that or i felt that way and i don't want that to come across in my content like i'm just putting this up because the <laughs> yeah. algorithm wants me to put up a new video you know it just that's not me and that's not the way that i've i've ever really approached youtube i have been more consistent in the past don't get me wrong but it's never been with the motivation of just like throwing up content. Totally. And it, I mean, it's not a bad thing to be consistent if you're excited no, about no, it. No, no, no. Yeah, absolutely. And there, there's people who are like super consistent and post up videos daily almost, mm-hmm. but their content is still relevant and they love doing it. Right. That's just not my personal output and style, at least at this point. And, you know, I think to, to those people out there who want to start YouTube, it's important to recognize what your limitations are or what, you know, what's comfortable for you in terms of putting out content. If you can do once a month, if you can do once every few months, if it's good content, content you're excited about, that's all you need to do. Don't do any more than that. Yeah. I like the fact that you're doing what you what you like. You know, it's funny because you like you always have those people that will say like one aspect of what you do, like, oh man, like you should do that. You know, like let's say like uh, like I used to tour and stuff, and people are like, well, Matt, like why don't you go out and play shows and tour? Like, isn't that awesome? But it's like it's not really what I want to do. You know, so like I respect that. You know, because there's a lot of people that say, oh, you can double down and do this or whatever. But it's like, well, that's not really like why I got into all this. It's like getting into the YouTube stuff because you know it seems like a fun idea, but then you almost get caught up in like, now I'm not really making music anymore because I'm so worried about making these, you know, videos and feeding the algorithm monster. And it's like, it's kind of like, ugh. Yeah. And like how relevant and how helpful is your content at that point? You know, if, if you're literally just doing it for that reason and you're not actually serving your mm-hmm. audience, they're there for a reason. And it's because they want to see you do what you do well and be passionate about it. Yeah. That's it. And the fact that, you know, you're not posting all the time, like, uh, like, I think, um, like, Anne, Anne Catherine Dern, she's a, a composer that we had on the podcast. And she was like, you know, if I'm not posting, it's because I'm like working. And I can yes. use this stuff that I learned from working to to teach you guys. So it's like, you know, you get some people like, where's all the videos? It's like, well, I'm actually doing the thing that I'm teaching you. So it's like you 
doing your mixing and mastering and then you like learn some new trick or technique that you know while doing your your thing then it's like yeah now i can i can show you guys that stuff but it's like i got to do the work too you know exactly it's it's always funny to me too you know there's so many new plugins and all this new tech and hardware coming out all the time and it got to a point for me where you know when you establish an audience there becomes demand for you to create content and so i have people contacting me all the time from different companies you know create content for this and this and it's it was really difficult for me early on because it's like i'm really excited that you know that's an opportunity but at the same time like i don't want to put up a video about a plugin that i got yesterday that comes out tomorrow and I don't even like, I'm not really even into mm -hmm. it. You know, it's like, yeah. I don't, I don't, I didn't want to do that. And so it, it became about balancing those things and figuring out, okay, I want to focus on what I really truly am into and feel is going to be helpful. And mm -hmm. that's it. Your, your flatulence video is still one of my favorite ones. I was, I remember I, I, I couldn't stop laughing when I was watching it because you you did it so serious. Yeah, straight face about yeah. a straight face. We, about we gotta a fart talk library. about this one. Yeah, we like, should. Talk I was about dying, this one. dude. I was because you was like, oh, check that. Oh, that's sick. Oh yeah, hear that like, low end. Oh hell yeah. I was just like, dude, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. we should probably give a little bit of context for those who are not familiar. Uh, Sound Iron had this product called Flatulus, which if you're not familiar, you should go check it out because it's groundbreaking stuff. <laughs> but um, I I had put together this video, and I think this is a good connecting piece with YouTube as well, because there was there was something that I picked up on with that that I wasn't expecting. I put together a video that, like you said, I was doing pretty much my typical like tutorial delivery, and it yeah. was very serious and like you know just going through it like it was just all right, new plugin. But it's a very funny instrument, great yeah. instrument. But uh, I, I was I was trying not to die laughing the whole time. I was trying really, really hard. It was actually challenging for me to do that. Um, but circling back around with the algorithm and YouTube, this is the part that is not quite as is. Uh, I'm not as excited about this part of it because you have to understand your audience, but then you also have to understand how the algorithm works and the the content that people are watching how that all connects to what's going to be recommended by YouTube. So that video is a perfect example. I post what I like. I post what's interesting to me or what I feel will be helpful. That was a really funny video. And my, I, I thought it was hilarious, like yeah. you said. But I put it up on April Fool's Day. And again, it was like a joke. Mm -hmm. But when it went out, people responded to it very differently it was kind of polarizing it was like some people were like wait a second is he is he being serious is this for real because i had just never done anything like that before you yeah. know so a lot of people were like this is the funniest thing you've ever done and loved it but then you had a lot of people who were just like i can't believe that you would send this to me and like you know that i would they get a, a suggestion yes they were offended and so the algorithm picks up on that and then it's like you know, is that what I didn't do anything wrong? I was just putting something out there funny like that. But then mm -hmm. you just understanding the context of how that works. And I'm not saying that you should respond to it like you should do what you love regardless. But I think in this age, you know, I think people get a little bit confused about how all that works mm -hmm. and knowing how that can change how your videos are being suggested and all that. And it's a very picky system. And I love YouTube. Do not get me wrong. Like it's, it's such an amazing tool and I've learned so much about it and, and have been fascinated with it. But things like that you have to consider in terms of when you're creating content, like what's your audience going to, how are they going to respond to it? I don't know. Yeah, You never know. It, it's almost the same. Like when you create music, let's say you're feeling inspired you want to go somewhere completely opposite of what you've been doing like i want to do this kind of track that's like way different than what your audience is used to and then you get some people that like get upset about it and it's like well if that's what i felt like creating like is it me that messed up or is it just you guys don't understand that maybe me as a creative wants to go in a different direction and that's the thing i think people get scared especially big youtube channels and people start doing those like burnout videos and getting all freaked out because they're like so scared about trying to like maintain this thing you know, because it's your livelihood and then they get all burned out because they're like, oh, I'm not really doing the stuff I want to do anymore because I'm trying to like keep these people happy. And like that's that's the game that I, that I think can like kind of burn people out and just 
like i don't even know if i want to do this anymore you know like you see people yeah post all like all you see all the big youtubers posting burnout videos it's just because i don't know if that's just a, a clickbaity thing or if there's a lot of them probably are just burned out but yeah it's kind of it's kind of a bummer when but it's like you can't always make everyone happy no no you can't you absolutely can't and the other thing to consider with that is like subscribers and things like that you know these days that doesn't really matter anymore and that this is a perfect example who that video was actually served to like let's say at that point i had i don't even 100,000 subscribers or whatever it may have been a small small fraction of those subscribers are getting shown my video you know or mm -hmm. your subscribers are seeing very very little content of that so that number doesn't really matter as much anymore i mean it matters but it's just like there's no guarantee that the people who actually said I care about your content. I'm subscribed. There's no guarantee that they're going to see that. YouTube yeah. is is saying we want to serve content in a way that people are going to watch as long as possible. It's, it's watch time. Yeah. So all those factor in and uh, it's fascinating to me. I've just learned a lot about that. Any other aspects of YouTube that you've been experimenting with like shorts or anything like that? Or I have not done too much of the shorts uh, at this point, you know, I've I've done some Instagram reels, that sort of thing. You know, I definitely am open to doing shorts. I think that it's just kind of an interesting landscape because they got in sort of post Instagram, you know, post TikTok, where mm -hmm. that was where most people were doing that. And now, you know, it's kind of like, well, come to YouTube and, and do that here. Um, but also my content, you know, I think a lot of the content that I do stylistically it's about kind of reshaping that and figuring out what will best work in that format and will be most helpful to the kinds of uh, folks who would be watching that. And when you're talking about informational content, it's like, how do you kind of cram all that into something that's really bite-sized and make it something that people are going to want to? Yeah. How do you teach someone ozone in 30 seconds? Exactly. You know, how do you teach someone to mix their vocal in a minute? It's difficult you can show them cool plugins and you can be like yeah this just came out and it can do this yeah. but if you really want to get into the nitty-gritty it's a little bit more interesting but i'm exploring it and you know i'm definitely going to continue to to consider it more and more in the future you, you have to i mean it's it's yeah. here so something you got to embrace yeah they're pushing it hard so you said that you weren't really trying to succeed on YouTube or you didn't have like a strong strategy business plan on that front. Could you talk more about that? Yeah. Yeah. You mean just as far as like when it started and kind of how it got to, to this point? Yeah. You're saying like, I wasn't trying to get this a mass of followers or subscribers. Like I, mm -hmm. it, I just kind of stumbled into this part of it. Yeah. Yeah. So when I first started doing it, I mean, obviously you want to get views and you want to, you know, have some response. At least that means somebody cares. Right. But at a certain point, it was more about, OK, am I able to, you know, provide this information as far as mixing and mastering that's going to be helpful? And if I can do that and we have, a, you know, a community of people in the comments who are talking about it and sharing different things, that's a win for me. And I was just putting up videos as I could. But the, the response started to grow with every video that I put up, you know, and I think looking back on it, it's hard to kind of gauge exactly how it all sort of came together in this way, because it's been this long sort of stretch journey with it. But um, I just wasn't expecting it to. I mean, I know I don't know if I if anyone would ever like sit there and be like, that sounds like an authentic response, but I'm genuinely surprised that it got to this point just because it wasn't something that I set out to be like, I'm going to be a, a YouTuber and I'm going to have a, a bigger channel. You know, it, sure. it wasn't anything like that. And still to this day, I mean, with each video, I'm just approaching it like, can I put something in this video that's going to be helpful for somebody? That's it. And if I do, it'll do what it needs to do. And I feel good about it. Yeah, that's killer. Yeah, that's really all you can do. Because I think at the end of the day, people just either want to like learn something or be entertained for a short amount of time or whatever it is like but i think like with your channel it's you know they're coming to you as a a resource for education so the fact that you always kind of make that an important factor in your videos i think is what's going to always keep people coming back or keep people subbing and stuff like that because it's like oh wow it's like this guy's always putting out cool educational stuff and if i'm learning something new every time then yeah it's like a no-brainer yeah well that's the part where you get kind of surprised though because 
the way that YouTube has been and, and even the content that I watch on YouTube, like the, the way that thumbnails are presented and the way that the content is presented, it's, it's very entertainment oriented. And my content isn't, has always had entertainment aspects to it. You know, you want to have some kind of infotainment sort of feel to it. You don't want people to be bored mm-hmm. watching your content. But at the same time, I've never done clickbait thumbnails. You know, most of my like most viewed videos are 20 or 30 minutes long. You know, it's like stuff like that, that, you know, I just kind of kind of went my own way with it. And again, I'm just I'm grateful, but also, you know, just encouraged that people really wanted to just come and watch content in that format and just learn you know, and that mm-hmm. there was something helpful in there to, to get the results they wanted. Yeah. You could definitely see the, the, the YouTube game is, you know, like with certain types of like facial expression, thumbnails and all that kind of stuff. It's like, it starts to just kind of, I don't know. Cause you know, like you see people say, oh, people respond more to like facial expressions, but it almost just kind of turns into like, you can see the trend of, you know, what everyone's trying to do. It's a trope. Yeah. Do you yeah. guys click those? Out of, I mean, seriously, not really. Sometimes, maybe, right? Unless, unless it's like they're talking about something that I'm like, oh, okay, like I, I get what they're trying to do, but uh, I'll, uh, I'll I'll check it out. But. An interesting thing is just to go to the Explore page of YouTube and realize how far removed your subscriptions and recommendations are from what the most popular shit is. <laughs> like, it's bizarre what YouTube is to uh, the world. I mean, the world is like a big place and everyone's getting their own like being served their own recommendations and subscriptions. And it's like, oh, this is the most popular stuff. Like I never would have seen this stuff. Yeah, so like, some of some of those like most clickbaity titles and thumbnails are not being served to us. Like Mr. Beast and all that. Right. Yeah. I've never watched a video. Filling up a mansion with a bunch of like those little like plastic balls from McDonald's or like, you know, <laughs> like crazy stuff like that where it's just like, like, what is it like making the, the the biggest pizza in the world or something? It's like, all right, well, if you got the money for it, have fun. So as far as your pipeline of new client work, could you tell us about that? I would assume that when you started, you were seeking people out and were like, hey, let me mix your song for you. And now it's probably like you say no to a lot or don't <laughs> you're, you're not responding to a lot of DMs or whatever. And you're like picking and choosing your client work. So could you talk about how you narrow that stuff down? Yeah, absolutely. It's pretty simple. And it's the same way as what I approach videos with. Nowadays, if someone comes to me with their song, I listen to it. I listen to pretty much everything that that people send me. And if I don't feel like I can serve them in in terms of what I do professionally, mixing, mastering, or, or whatever they're hiring me to do, if I'm not really interested in it, if I don't understand it, I'm not the person to work on it. So mm-hmm. it's it's that's pretty much it. And I try to just find the the folks that that are really driven to to grow and to do something that is gonna last beyond me working on this one song for them. I wanna build relationships. Yeah. You all know in this industry, it's like that's so crucial and people don't talk about that. But you know, I wanna build relationships with with all the artists that I work with and I want them to be in it for the long haul. Mm-hmm. So yeah, those are all the the main things that go into it. But again, if if I just don't understand the vision, then I'm not gonna. I don't care if you're gonna pay me. Don't do that. Like, go hire someone who who understands your vision. Yeah. Do you have to like respectfully decline? Well, unfortunately, like I can't respond to all of them. You know, sure. it's like as they're coming in, I do listen to them, and or I'll have someone else like kind of review and say, okay, well, I know this is going to work or not but you know i i can't respond to all of them but i do make it very clear like whenever they they send me an inquiry that i don't respond to all of them i do listen to them they're all in consideration and that can be kind of picky personal type of stuff and i, I don't want people to take that personally because it, it's not personal at all yeah. i'm i'm literally just like look i'm one man i can't work on all these all these sessions if i had a hundred great songs come across my desk. It's like, there's only so many of these that I can work on anyway. So yeah. it's just, yeah, it's, it's kind of a bandwidth thing as well. Yeah. Yeah. Without a doubt. Are, are there certain genres that you feel like you're most strong at? Well, I mean, obviously I, I think people know, know me and my content more for, you know, specific genres. I've been, you know, doing hip hop and, and rap based vocal content. So I think people know me the most for that, but um, you know I'm I'm open minded 
and I am a, a huge fan of all types of music. I mean, literally, like I listen to everything. So I can mix different styles. I do think that people come to me, you know, for those specific ones. But now it's it's expanding. I mean, I'm having more people come to me with like the other day I did a, a country track and we're doing like more rock stuff with hybrid, you know, mixing electronic and hip hop. So it's definitely gotten more diverse in, in that that way. So that's exciting as well. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I think it's cool to branch out your genres because you're like, oh, now I'm working with acoustic guitars and I haven't really had a lot of experience with that or, you know, a singer, songwriter, country artist or whatever. And you can start building repeat clients with different music and it just kind of staves off the boredom. Absolutely. And it's it's good ear training, you know, just to mix, like you were saying, Craig, different instruments, you know, I'm, I was mixing a mandolin the other day and it's like, well, this is a different approach. But yeah. it's still the same thing. I mean, you know, if you've listened to enough music, like you, you kind of have this roadmap for where things are going to be sitting and how you're mm-hmm. going to process it. So it's not like you have to reinvent the wheel. It's kind of like mixing a vocal. You don't necessarily mix a vocal that differently for every genre. You're going to do stylistically different things. But, you know, if you've listened to some music, it's it's not that foreign. So it is, it's, it's very exciting for me, like you said, Nathan, just to to diversify and it keeps you fresh because you can pull some of those techniques into different sessions and different styles. Yeah. You're going to sneak a mandolin into a rap song for sure. At some point. Yeah. And course. that's the new thing. And everyone's <laughs> doing that now. Uh, could you tell us about a personal project you're excited about right now? Oh man, personal project. Well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not writing anything personally right this second. I put out some solo stuff, which, was very much just my own kind of challenge to produce, write, mix, master, release the past few years. But um, kind of taking a little bit of break from that and just working with the artists that I'm doing mixing and mastering with. But we got a project uh, by an artist named Bubby Galloway that I was working on his album uh, last month. I don't know if uh, you're familiar. He's done some stuff with like Jelly Roll. I don't know if y'all have heard of Jelly Roll. So his new album comes out in a couple of weeks, I think. I think they got a release date for a couple of weeks. So we just wrapped that up and I thought it turned out great. So I'm excited to see what people think about it. And did you mix and master it? Yes. Mm-hmm. Nice, man. Yeah, he's he's out of Ohio and he's doing some cool stuff. He kind of he's mixes different things. It's Some of his stuff has like blues, kind of country feel to it, but it has a very urban, you know, hip hop, R&B kind of feel as well. So fun stuff to mix. Yeah, speaker testers. Yeah, are are you more of a headphone or or monitors for mixing, or or do you kind of go back and forth? I'm monitors mostly. I mean, these days I do reference in my my headphones. I have a couple that I, I really like to just check, but I don't know. I I started on monitors, and so even working in the studios on NS10s is just there's something about hearing it in the room on mm-hmm. monitors for me. So I always start with that and. Like we were saying, get the bulk of my mixing or master done on that. And then at the very end, I'll, you know, go in and reference a little bit. Nice. So you're using NS10s? No, not anymore. I I was using them for a while and I actually sold them after I got, um, I don't know if y'all have tried, this is not a plug either, this is not sponsored, uh, Waves NX. Have y'all ever tried that? No. No, I've heard of it. Yeah, it's like the calibration sort of thing that Waves was putting out. Yeah, it's a little different than the other ones, but um, they have one called CLANX, which is, of course, Chris Lord Algies. It's his NX suite, but it's mm-hmm. his studio, but they modeled his NS10s. So I had my NS10s, and the only thing that I would use those things for was just like referencing my the mids and where the vocal was. You know, it wasn't really like a main monitor kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I got the NX, and his NS10s in that were close enough to where I could get that perspective. So I was like, yeah, I, the NS10s are just taking up room. I'm, yeah, I'm done with them. So that was it. Yeah, that's cool. What actual monitors are you using these days? Oh, man. These are uh, Event 2030, and they're a three-way monitor. They do not make them anymore. But I mm. started mixing on event monitors. They've been around a long time. They, mm. they were bought out by, I think, Rode Microphones bought them long time ago. They're not producing them. But um, yeah, I had a, an old pair of event when I first started and I just got used to the sound of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so these are the the three ways. 
And same thing, I just don't want to, I don't want to change. I know them, you know, it's like once you learn a monitor, it's just like, uh, I don't want to switch. Yeah. So yeah, I actually had one, uh, the tweeter went out on one of these about a year ago and I called and got in touch with, with my guy at road. And I was like, man, I know y'all aren't making these, but like, I don't want to get another monitor. Is there anything I can do? And he went into the warehouse and he was like, I think we got a spare part we could send mm-hmm. you. And I was like, oh, thank God. Well, that's cool. <laughs> so it's good to have a hookup. Yeah. Well, when, when, uh, if they go out again, I'm in big trouble. So if y'all have any yeah. monitor recommendations at that stage, I'm going to be reaching out. Yeah. I've been using the, um, the Cali audios for a long time and, um, been using them also with the, with the sound, sound works or was it sonar works? Yeah. Sound ID. And, um, it's actually pretty cool. Like, cause these speakers are a little bit kind of like low mid heavy. So it helps kind of uh, balance that out with the with the sonar work stuff. But yeah, they're pretty inexpensive. These are three ways too. It's the uh, the IN eights, but yeah, I dig them. Right on, man. I, the sonar work stuff is that's that's cool too. I've they have do you use the the measurement mic and mm-hmm. yeah, I got the microphone. Nice. Just like you you hold it to like where it would be like your head, and you're just kind of like walking around your room and trying to like line it up. It'll be beep, 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 beep. just like yeah. sounds like a bunch of aliens are in your room hanging out but um but uh yeah it's it's pretty cool it, it's definitely i mean of course you know people say like oh you shouldn't use that kind of stuff or you know i mean unless it's like like genelex have their own monitoring like eq correction software and stuff like that too but um it, it can definitely help especially if you have a fairly treated room like if you have a super reverb all over the place then it's like you probably need to do that first before you go using any kind of correction software but once once i got into this room that's when I was like, all right, cool. I think I'm going to try it now because I can actually like treat it in a way that's a little bit more controlled. Yeah. Yeah. This stuff's come a long way too, man. I think it's exciting for people out here in home studios, you know, just to be able to get somewhat close to that reference environment that you're going to get in a really mm-hmm. finely tuned room. You know, that just was not possible Yeah, five, 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Things are just getting better and better every day. Uh, my next question for you is what advice would you give to someone starting out? So they want to mix or master, they want to mix or master other people's music. What what advice would you give them? Well, on the, not trying to be vague, but this is crucial. Just first step before we get into anything technical, got to fall in love with the process. You know, I, I hear from so many people who they want the results and they want it right now. You know, they want, they want someone to be hiring them. And there's so many people out here doing it and trying to do it. And if you really don't love the process and you're not spending the time learning all this stuff, you're not going to get to the point that people are going to, you know, actually pay you and hire you to do something. And so you got to, you got to cover that first. So spend the time, commit to it, you know, do whatever you need to do to stay excited about the process. There are some things that you're going to go through that are like, they're not, not as fun. You aren't going to be getting clients for a while but you know if you really love it you're going to commit and and get to the point where yeah your work's going to speak for itself and that'll come together so just don't don't be looking so much into results 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 at this point if you're learning something every day and you're getting a little bit better you're doing the right thing just keep mm-hmm. doing that learn and apply how did you get your first clients were you spending time at like music venues or were you just sending cold emails like the networking process at the beginning? Uh, well, mixing and mastering specifically was through production. So I, I started out as a producer and, and working in production. And so a lot of the artists that I was working with, they they wanted their stuff to sound, you know, that that certain type of way with a nice polished mix yeah. and get it out and, you know, be able to compete with everything else they were hearing. So before they would leave the studio or before I would send it out, you know, once it was done and production wise, I would put a mix on it. And back then, you know, it was just a rough mix at that stage. But, um, you know, that was that was the start of me doing that. And then as I got better, it was, hey, you know, we just we want Sean to mix the whole project or we're going to keep Sean's mix for the release. And then it was them coming back to me and hiring me to actually maybe just do the mix or just do the master. So that was the start of, of that. And once again, going back to what we were talking about, establishing relationships, you know, working with people in, in that way. And. Yeah, they come back if you do good work. Yeah, that's that's always the goal is to like not just have them be like, all right, cool, I did my job, I got paid, all right, bye. It's like 
those repeat things like the, the people who keep coming back to you is because they just love your work and like you know and it's always cool because yeah it is like developing that community within not just you know client you doing your job all right bye sort of thing. yeah it's not so, like a robot factory like yeah like all right thank you your music yeah. goodbye <laughs> no and this is i mean it's music you know these people are they're like us they love music and they're spending tons of time recording not to mention money going to studios at least back then as well more mm-hmm. so uh, so when it comes to me it's like that's an honor that you would pay me you know, to, to work on your music. So I take that very seriously. And, you know, even talking about these albums I was working on, I live with this stuff. I'm sitting here, you know, every day, just really wanting the best for it. And it's not because they're paying me. It's because I really care about the music. I care Mm -hmm. about their careers and what they're doing creatively. And I want to help them in any way that I can or contribute to it in any way I can. And they pick up on that. You know, if you really care about your clients and the artists you're working with, that's going to separate you too. Cause a lot of people, like you said, it's, oh, well, you know, I'm established. I have a name. This is, this is my rate. Just pay it and I'll, you know, mm-hmm. we'll do it, which there's yeah. nothing wrong with that, but it's just a different thing. Yeah. I, I would think a lot of people would like to find someone that they can work with on a continuous basis because it's like, once you've established that, like, all right, cool. Like I hired them for the job. They did a great job. Like, well, cool. Now that's like, I don't have to go on the hunt next time. Like I know a guy, you know, it's like, you, you know how it is. Like when you're like, Hey, like, Oh, you know, someone asks you, hey, I'm looking for someone to do this. Like, oh, I already know someone. I'll I'll shoot you his email because I know he does great work. You know, like the guy who I've worked with on the last four records I've done. There's a reason for that. It's because he does really good work. Cool dude, like super professional, like gets it done when it's supposed to. If if not anything like before, you know, with like 10 different mix revisions, which one do you like? Let me know. You know, and you're just like, oh, damn, like, like that kind of stuff just makes it so much easier. Going above and beyond too. It's yeah. like he doesn't have some of that stuff he doesn't have to do for you, right? But yeah. it's like you can tell he really cares. So yeah, yeah that's that's the kind of people you want to work with. Exactly. Um, could you tell us any hobbies or interests you have outside of music? Oh man, is there life outside of the studio? <laughs> nah. Nah. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I'd love to run. Uh been running for quite a while. I'm slowing down a little bit. Because uh, trying to just kind of ease up on the impact. I was mm. running, you know, competitively and oh, just wow. got to the point where it just, you know, it becomes much on your knees and your joints and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm doing more biking, a um, lot of hiking. And uh, so, yeah, I, I like to just be outside, you know, I think as much time as we spend in here, padded walls and all that, I really just enjoy the outdoors. I like getting out and, and just enjoying, enjoying nature, God's creation, you know, just taking it all in. Yeah, you walk outside, you're like, what are all these weird bird sounds? What is what is that? What are all these weird, you know, <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah, uh, stuff does exist outside of the padded walls. Yes, yes. Yeah. And it th- that can be inspiring in itself, too. Going outside and feeling a nice breeze. It's like, <sighs> would you say that it's been mostly a net positive creating content and working in public, like educating in public? I know you have some downsides to that with troll comments and things like that, but on the whole, would you say it's been a net positive? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, 99% of the feedback and just the interactions through YouTube and everywhere else are, are very positive. And yeah. most people are just excited to to learn, but also to share. I learn a lot from the interactions on on the channel and on my comments and in my DMs or whatever, you know, people are sharing with me as well. And it's just this, this mutual sort of... Uh, thing I'm learning. I'm still learning every day. Like, let's not get it twisted here. Yeah, I'm, I'm teaching things that I know, but I'm I'm learning and I'm going to be learning until I die. So let's all just try to get better together. And and so, yeah, it's it's been very positive. What about the sound design side? What what kind of sound design are you typically making? Is this like ambient pads or is this like game sound effects? What what uh, tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's it's all over the place. Um, you know, I've done different sound design for for various companies. I've done quite a bit of sound design for applied acoustic systems. Uh, if y'all are familiar, yeah. um, factory content for most of their instruments. What else have I done? We just did something for uh, Future Audio Workshop Sublab. Um, if y'all are familiar with that one, it's just like a, uh, it's basically like a sub bass plugin, but you can combine samples and transients with that and then there's also like crazy distortion stuff it's it's a very unique sort of plug-in um we 
or I was doing something with Serum that was kind of similar, but I was using Serum in a way that was sort of unconventional. Mm-hmm. And they came to me with this idea of like, we're going to build a whole instrument with it. And I was like, okay, that sounds cool. I'll have to check <laughs> so, that out. That sounds cool for sure. Yeah, it's it's heavy. It definitely, and they've got something in it called uh, X-Sub, which it just generates a lot of harmonic content. I mean, not not like just sub content, but it will literally, you can tune it and it will generate all kinds of harmonics all the way up into mids and like you can generate crazy lows. And so it's it's kind of the definitive sub bass instrument. We uh, just wrapped up the XL version of that. That just came out a few weeks ago. And so I did two banks on that one. There's like a divine factory bank. And then there's one called, I think it's called super synth is what they called it, which we added um, a super oscillator, which is just basically like a hyper saw or a super saw kind of oscillator, but you use it for for sub bass or bass sounds. And then we've got different macros and stuff. So you can you can get pretty crazy with it. Hell yeah. That sounds super fun. Do you have a favorite synth for sound design that you go to typically? I mean, I love Serum still to this day. You know, I've I've been using it for forever and I just feel like sound wise, it just fits into a lot of different contexts mm-hmm. musically. So as a synth, I I love it. I really do. Um, Omnisphere is obviously, it classic. is what it is. It's yeah. a classic. I still to this day have not been through like all the different stuff in Omnisphere. It's just so with, big. Yeah, with all the expansions and stuff, it, you'll never get through it. Yeah. No. That, that's the, that should be their their slogan, like Omnisphere, like you'll never play all these patches. <laughs> <laughs> it's true though. That is, it is so true. Have you messed with pigments at all? Yes, yes. I love pigments as well. I would say of the kind of new school scent plugins, that one is definitely up there at the top for me. Yeah, that's been my my first grab for the past year. Like I I just love the workflow of it and they made a, a great product over there. They did. They did in the factory bank in there is is really impressive. I'm not sure exactly who they got on board for all the sound design, but I was really impressed with that. Especially, I mean, these days. I just feel like synths, synth plugins, I don't know if about you guys, but it just kind of got stale for me. It was like, how many, you know, subtractive synths or for a while it was a uh, granular synth and all. Yeah. It's just, it got to the point where it's like, what else could they possibly do? And how many plugins do I need to function mm-hmm. as a synth? Clones of clones kind of stuff. Yeah. Going on. Yeah. But pigments was one that was like, okay, this is something really exciting, something new. It's funny, Serum and Omnisphere are the two that I I have not ever owned. No never, kidding. Yeah, I've I I don't know why. Like one day I'll buy them, but I think I just like I just always put it off. Well, what's what's your go to then? Uh, shoot. I mean, lately probably pigments. Like I actually um for the Axe Machina trailer song that came out, that little like whoa, 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 that kind of gnarly bass dive in the middle. That was actually a, a preset from Pigments. I was like, well, that sounds kind of cool. <laughs> it has this like crazy like almost like trailer kind of downer sort of thing. Yeah, yeah pretty cool. which speaking of, I mean, got to mention Axe X Machina. Is that how you say it? Yeah. Um, yeah, I saw that, man. I, I still need to check it out, but I saw the the previews and listened to the the demos of it. And I just think that's super cool because I don't know of another instrument that does that and does it well. Like there's doing heavy, heavy guitars in a plug-in well. You know, there's been some plugins in the past I've had that, uh, it's like nah not really it's close but not quite but um, i'm excited to, to check this one out it sounded really good in the, in the uh the previews oh thanks dude craig, yeah. craig worked hard sampling that guitar yeah that, that took a chunk of my life out <laughs> <laughs> oh i know that wasn't easy to sample a guitar like that and i mean you did you all have like amping and all that type of stuff in there too right yeah there's some uh took the di's and reamped them through some some of my favorite amp sim plugins and stuff using some of the neural dsp stuff because that's just some of my favorites that, that i've used like since they've come out i'm i'm endorsed with them too and it's for a reason i just really like like everything they come out with is really good and unique and stuff and um but yeah like having the di's for me is just you know you have to have that you know especially because a lot of people like when it comes to guitar they like to dial in their own amps and stuff and um that's like the fun part of the process and then just not having to record it you could just program it in (laughs) yeah yeah that's awesome man i'm looking forward to trying that one out all right, I have a big question for you, and then we can go to the rapid fire questions. What is the best advice you've ever been given? Oh my goodness. 
That's a big question. The first thing that comes to mind, I don't know if this is the best advice I've ever been getting, but this is just the first that comes to mind right now. And I've been utilizing it a lot lately. And there, you know, whatever context you want to put behind it, it doesn't matter. But if you pray, don't worry. And if you worry, don't pray. <laughs> okay. Thanks. That's what I got for you. Nice. I like it. I don't know who said it, but if you have anxiety or you're worried about something, just like, well, if you have faith that this is going to work out, like you can't worry about it. But if you want to worry about it, like don't be, don't be hopeful. Don't have faith. Yeah. Yeah. You know? yeah that's, yeah, that's a, a, a good point. So the next section is, I've just got three uh, short questions on our end. They don't have to be short on yours, but the first one is a best recent purchase under a hundred dollars. Can you buy anything for under a hundred dollars for the studio right now in 2022? Is that, is uh, you can get a like a, pa- a pack of picks, <laughs> toenail oh, clippers. You can, there's some software under a hundred bucks. Okay, well we can go plugins. Totally. Okay, there's a plugin from a company called Zplane, and it's called Tonic. What's it do? I think I think it was under a hundred dollars. It tells you like song keys. It'll measure song keys really quickly, which for me, if I'm loading up a session and I just want to just put it on the, the rough mix, get that dialed in. So when I start doing pitch correction, it's boom, it's there. Nice. Oh, wow. Yeah. I meant to ask you earlier about mastering software. What's if, if someone's trying to start mastering their own stuff or start being educated about mastering, what's the first plugin you would recommend? Well, if you want to have more control and you want to be able to kind of customize your chain and and understand what's going on so that you can expand moving forward, I started with Waves Gold, which is like their kind of introductory pack. And I just think that it has everything that you you need to start with. It's got the L1 maximizer, a lot of other great plugins that are just going to be essential and you're going to use them mm-hmm. for years and years to come. But if you want to do something where you want to be more hands-off and you just want to get a good, quick uh, result, I would say just go with Ozone. I mean, even the Ozone standard these days, the Ozone 10 just came out. And I mean, the results that it gave me through the AI in various sessions is like, whoa. Um, I did go back and tweak a little bit, but it's mm-hmm. it's pretty, pretty solid. Got to yeah. say. So if, yeah, if you just want something quick, something that's going to be somewhat competitive in that sense i would i would mm-hmm. do that route it's funny uh everyone likes to be anti-waves or like pretend that you know waves is trash or whatever but i still use a lot of waves plugins yeah i think i think that's kind of like the common thing is like it people people say that just because waves is they're just i mean they're like the biggest audio plugin company right and they so, have been for a long time yeah, but I mean, I started with Waves literally. Like the first plugins I bought were Waves Gold and Waves SSL 4000. Mm-hmm. Nice. No joke. So, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, I'm not covering this stuff because of any other reason other than they, they make stuff I'm, I still use. Mm-hmm. So, that SSL yeah. G comp, man, I use that on everything. Like that or like, you know, S1 on guitars sometimes or stuff you want to like just widen out a little bit or like the L1. Yeah, that's like, those are... If there's any that I use like all the time, it's those. Yeah, yeah. Those old, some of those old plugins with just the really dated GUIs and stuff, they just sound great. They do exactly yep. what you want them to do. And so, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But yeah. we could also, we could talk about like the whole uh, update models and stuff. I know people are, there's a lot of conversation about software updates and development and having to pay for plugin updates and all that. And I know Waves has been kind of in the crossfire with some of that stuff, but they're also the most reliable plugins for me. Like I mm-hmm. never have problems with Waves. Yes, I do update them. And yeah, they, you know there are updates, especially as we're going through different OS updates and all that, but like they're on top of that stuff. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't know, and you all can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know of many plugin makers these days that provide ongoing free updates. I don't know if they can, you know, it's just like you're trying to chase a moving target with all the new mm-hmm. Mac o- updates and like Windows OS, uh, you know, it's just a lot to try to navigate. I, I know it's at SoundIron, like y'all deal with the same sorts of things, but it's like, at what point can you still continue to provide free updates? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's yeah. tricky because you have 
this product that you've sold and then a like big OS update completely wipes out your product or like, you know, disables certain parts of it or makes it buggy and unstable. And you're just like, oh, this is really bad. Not a good situation. Yeah, there's always people scared to update. Like you see like some new thing come out and everyone's like, uh-uh, I'm not, I'm not doing any of that. Like they don't update their OS for like six months or <laughs> for years. Or years, yeah. Like, oh, I'm still on blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I remember when I was using Mac and I updated to some uh, some new Mac OS and I couldn't even use Logic Pro 9 anymore. And I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm going to Cubase. <laughs> it's just like, I guess that's over. Yeah, it's these days, it's the safe bet is whenever you buy the plugin, like whatever system you're on or whatever OS, just expect that that's going to be the only one it's that you're probably going to get and not have to pay for something at, you know, at a later point, just because it's, it's just kind of the way it's going is just, there's so many new updates coming out all the time. And yeah. it's a tricky situation. I don't, I don't know the answer to it, but a lot of people have a lot of opinions about it. That's for sure. Oh, oh yeah. All right. My next question is favorite YouTube channel or podcast or TV show at the moment, something you've been enjoying recently. Let me go to my YouTube. Let's see here. I will say in the beginning, I haven't watched it more recently, but I used to watch a lot of Pensado's place. They used to do some interesting interviews and things. Oh, yeah. You all are yeah. familiar. Did they do like studio tours too? Yeah. Yeah. They, I, again, I haven't watched it more recently, but like some of the original interviews that they, they did with engineers, I thought were super fascinating. Very, very interesting content. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was one of them. Let's see. And it doesn't have to what be on, it doesn't have to be on brand either. Some guy who fishes wearing a 360. Yeah. I was going to say, I watch helmet. like random, ran, I watch a lot of skateboarding content. Nice. So, um, That's I cool. listen to, uh, the nine club. Do y'all ever listen? It's a podcast, but they also have a YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And so I watch the nine club experience, which is their like live show. And then they'll bring people on. I love first we feast. I watch hot ones. I don't oh, even yeah. eat. I don't eat chicken, but I st- I still am like love that that show. That interview style is just yeah, that's genius. It, have you seen the one with Shaq? That one had me cracking up. The, I, don't think, I didn't even know he was on there. I'm gonna dude, to yeah, Shaq was on there. Dude, one. it was just hilarious. Just, oh my god, it's just hot, just hot, hot wearing right here. <laughs> oh man, I, I'm gonna add that right now. Gotta see Shaq on there. That's yeah, a good Gordon one. Ramsay was on there. Yeah, there yeah, there was a bunch of good ones on there. Yeah, my buddy, was... my buddy bought the hottest sauce from there, and we had a wing night with it. I oh no! Can't really How recommend was that? it. It was painful. Yeah, oh, we didn't. We goodness. didn't ask the hard hitting questions either. We were just like, "This hurts." You're just <laughs> just dousing yourself with milk and just yeah. crying the whole time. Whose idea was this? Yeah. Why did you do this to me? <laughs> was there a uh, was there a recovery period where you drinking milk for like the next forty eight hours? He texted me twenty four hours later and asked how. The second half of the situation was going and it was bad yeah that's brutal <laughs> yeah yeah I, I i am a complete wuss when it comes to spicy stuff and anything like that so i would be i would be dying for sure <laughs> yeah, you're gonna have to turn down that invite when they when they get you yeah. on i love oh, me some man. spicy stuff but yeah i don't know like when when it gets to like all those like crazy like ghost peppers and like all that kind of stuff like i don't know i haven't quite pushed it that far but you're gonna yeah. hit the the packy challenge. They got the you know they got the the one chip, and it's just like <laughs> saturated in ghost pepper powder or whatever they put on it. Oh good. And it you know you would think it, it kind of looks like it would be a little bit of a like toned down, but no. I mean people are just hurting after that one chip. Yeah. <laughs> so do know. you you skateboard or you just enjoy the skateboarding community? At this point, I am an enthusiast for sure. I've had many injuries, and skateboarding is is not in my uh, abilities anymore. I've I've got had multiple back injuries and oh wow, all kinds of different stuff. So yeah, it's I would love to be out there. I, you know, I can get out and cruise a little bit, but still, it's more just I can appreciate it from afar. I still follow the culture and yeah, just love it. Love watching skate videos. If I'm on Instagram. I'm just scrolling through skate videos. That's like pretty much all I do on there. So, all right. My final question for you is what goals do you see yourself achieving in the next few years? What's next for Sean? You know, I am not a huge goal oriented person. Let me clarify that. I have very much been someone who's had these like short term, long term, year long goals. 
done that stuff before and I still am a planner. But, um, you know, my goals are pretty simple in the sense that I wake up every day and I just want to do good work. I want to continue to grow. I want to challenge myself, you know, in the right ways. I want to try to help as much as I can. And if I'm doing that, then all of the things that, uh, you know, I'm hopeful for as far as what would be the best situation for, for me in terms of my personal growth or professional growth, spiritual growth, whatever it may be, if, if those are all aligning, I'm not really worried as much about the details because you can't really plan for life all that much anymore anyway. You know, it's just like, <laughs> let's yeah. just make the most yeah. of it. And uh, yeah, I'm just excited to have the opportunity every day to, to, to hopefully grow and, and get better. So it sounds like you've got all the puzzle pieces in place and you're just wanting to do the same things. Yeah, well, new things, new challenges for sure are very okay. important. But yeah, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I've figured out at this point in my career what drives me and what I'm most passionate about and the areas that I, I want to stay focused on. And, and uh, from there, yeah, just keep, keep growing in it. Love that, man. Yeah. Congrats yeah. on all that success. I, I'm, uh, I'm rooting for you. Oh, I appreciate I've, it. I've Same watched, uh, watched a lot of your videos as well. I was looking uh, on, on your YouTube channel. There's a lot of, a lot of red over here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I appreciate that. All right, Sean. Well, thanks so much for coming on and hanging out with us. And um, we will send people to your YouTube channel so they can learn about mixing, mastering, and getting rid of microphone noise and all kinds of practical tips as well as your website if they want to get some professional mixing and mastering done. Mm-hmm. Sounds awesome. Craig, Nathan, been a pleasure. This has just yeah. been we've just been kicking it, talking shop. Yeah. yeah love just... to uh love to do it again sometimes and, and y'all keep doing what you're doing. I gotta check out this this new axe machina. I'm gonna get oh, on I, that. Oh I got you. Don't worry about it. After <laughs> this, right. don't worry, I got All you. Right. <laughs> All right, Sean. We'll catch you soon, man. All right. Y'all take care. Yeah, man. Awesome talking, man. Peace.